Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Welcome back to the podcast, ADHD is Over. Today we have a very exciting guest. I'm excited. We have Mr. Marquise Cormier. Uh, Marquise Cormier would be French, it's a <laughs> <beautiful> name. <laughs> there you uh, Marquise is not only an author, a published author, he's also an entrepreneur. He's a fashion designer, a musical artist, but he's also very inspiring. He's also a public speaker and I would just say all around, just uh, an inspiring energy. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Roman. The honor is mine. You know, I hope everyone out listening is having a great day today. Uh, I, I'm just grateful to be here. Well, it's my pleasure and I'll tell you why. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend. And when he told me your story, just in a nutshell, I was like, oh my God, we, we have to talk. and it was really just a nutshell. So I wanted to dedicate this episode to uh, letting people know that there's actually, uh, I don't want to say hope, but there's possibilities early on, as early as eight years old, because, and I want you to tell me the story, but you wrote a book at eight years old. Is that right? That's correct. That is definitely correct. Wow. How did that happen? How does an eight-year-old write a book and then get that published? Back then, right? This is uh, about 2002, 2000. Yeah, about 2002. Wow. So tell me, how did that how did that all start? Maybe take us back to, um, you know, I call you sort of an undiagnosed or unwilling to take on the label of ADHD kind of child. Uh, maybe take us back to the moment when uh, you guys went through this sort of like getting diagnosed and figuring out what's next. Okay, so it all started. Um, at 61st Street Elementary School back in like 2001. Might have been, I had to be like first grade. I was about six years old. And I would finish my work for the rest of the class and just kind of be restless, going around, running around the class, just being a distraction, I guess, to the rest of the kids. And the behavior was kind of noticed by the teacher and it was repetitive. So um, over a course of time, so the teacher, I guess, went to the higher ups and kind of said, hey, we have a problem in the classroom. Um, you know, it's kid, a lot of energy. So the school kind of sent the request to my grandmother saying that they want to get me tested and put into uh, special ed for behavior problems. And um, from there, that's when it kind of, the story kind of began. So once we received the paperwork, the information, um, they requested that I get tested by a school psychiatrist. My grandma said, we'll get, we'll get me tested by our own private psychiatrist because, um, you know, school system is a school system. So, um, but it was required that I did get tested. So upon getting tested, um, results came back. Um, the, the conclusion was, um, I was borderline genius, gifted, wasn't being challenged in school. Um, and from there, my grandmother 
kind of just noticed how you know this is this is something that we have to uh, we have to make an adjustment on as far as your your education. So she withdrew me out of public school and put me into an entrepreneur academy. Now, what made her put me into an entrepreneur academy was because my grandmother's a published author, and ah. she was she was meeting with my teacher one day after school, and as they were meeting, um, I went into the car and started like reading her book around my teacher, which is free marketing, you know, and uh, the teacher inquired about it. Um, like, oh, what you reading? I was like, oh, this is my grandma's book. She wrote a book. She's like, oh, can I see it? Can I check it out? And I told her, well, you got to buy it first. And that was my first sale, you know, recorded sale. So after that, my grandma kind of paid attention to that, kind of, um, you know, narrowed it down to a, a special niche um, of different talents and gifts I possess. So we kind of went with that. And that's when I uh, enrolled into the Entrepreneur Academy. And from there, that's when... I ended up starting my own business. So the school would have us doing um, small sales, like selling calendars, candies, fundraisers, things of that sort. But I really liked the the um, the thrill of selling, the challenge of selling. The, the it was it was a rush for me. It was something that, that I can invest my energy into and feel satisfied after I do get a sale. So. Mm. I wanted to do it outside of school. So that's when my grandmother decided that, okay, well, let's try it in, on a different level. Let's go downtown, let's buy some products wholesale, and let's set up somewhere and see what you do. So we used to set up at the Manchester Car Wash, and uh, she just used to let me, you know, just walk up to people, give them my introduction and my sales pitch. And surprisingly, um, it just started picking up really fast, like picking up a lot of attention, generating a lot of traffic to the actual car wash. So they would kind of, if we would miss a weekend, um, they would call like, oh, when you guys coming back? <laughs> because it started picking up as word of mouth. So now, you know, people want to see what this is about because it was generating so much traffic. So um, it ended up um, getting so much attention at the LA Times, the Watch Times, the uh, Inglewood Sentinel, uh, just, just different newspapers started writing articles about me. From there, it spread to KTLA. They came out um, and did a, a little segment on me as a young entrepreneur in the city, and everything just started picking up. Now I'm doing career days at elementary school. I might drum eight years old, and I'm speaking to kids my age and older. So it was, it was, a, it was a. Uh, surprising turn of events in my life, but um, did career days, motivational speaking at churches, community events. Um, and this I, is at, at eight years old still, eight, nine years eight, old? Eight, nine years old, exactly. And so wow. as things began to pick up, um, my grandmother kind of, you know, said, wow, you really have a story, you know? And me, I always was kind of good at writing. Like, even early on, I used to win, like, essay contests when I was in school. So mm -hmm. she decided that um, maybe I should kind of tell my story to her. That's what we started as. Like, oh, I want you to write me a story about your life. That was her approach to me. And once she kind of seen the structure of everything, what she did was she had interviewed me and put it on a voice record. And then we kind of took it to get, you know, proofread. Well, somebody type it up, get proofread, and um, took it to a um, mentor of mine named Rosie Milligan, who had her own bookstore. 
and she kind of helped us publish the book um, through her. So that's how it got published. That's kind of the backstory of it. And from there, everything just went even further for me. So it was wow. a crazy experience. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. I mean, not many eight-year-olds, uh, especially today, uh, can say they're a published author. And even today, right, you can bu- publish a book fairly easily. I had one published uh, a while back uh, that mm-hmm. went along with my other podcast, and it wasn't that hard to do. But in 2002, right. Two, yeah. it was a I don't know deal. if I would have done it, you know, yeah. and I was, I was already, what, 42? No, I forget, 32, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so you're at eight at the time. That's amazing. Now, what I, what I hear is that your grandma, and so just, just as a background for our listeners, you were raised by your grandmother and grandfather or just grandmother? Uh, I was raised by my grandmother and grandfather. By your grandmother and grandfather. And did you have, you have siblings? I do. I do have siblings. I have five siblings. And they were all raised by your grandparents? No, just me. Just, just me. you. I, yeah. Okay. And you were still in touch with your other siblings? Were they just raised by different family members? or? Um, so basically, um, I would definitely be in touch. I just had to visit like on weekends and things of that sort because of the structure of uh, the family at that time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a lot, you know, to kind of deal with a lot of kids at one time. So my yeah. grandmother, grandfather decided to kind of intervene, kind of, you know, step yeah. up. Yeah. Take Wow. So it really, you know, you could have gone in a different direction. You could have gone in the direction of uh, being stuck in special ed, getting the label of ADHD. And, um, you know, and then that would have been probably the start of really uh, losing your self-confidence, like not even losing, but where you start, right? You start seeing yourself as broken, as Mm -hmm. abnormal. Um, what so so grandma took you into the other direction as in like well wait this is more of a gift than it is a uh right a disorder so let me ask you in school though were you were you able to do everything the other kids could do already and you were just bored because it wasn't challenging or were there some things that you were still challenged by or that you struggled with so um when I took the standardized test, I believe it was called the Stanford Nine test that we took in California, they said I scored within the top percent, uh, top ten percent nationally. Uh, so basically, the test scores were like through the roof, like highest in the school, top uh, top ten in the district, top ten nationally. Like it was, so it definitely had it was nothing to do with my ability to learn or yeah. you know nothing of that sort. It was simply. Um, just, you know, energy. You were just disruptive, right? Uh, whatever they yeah. call it, hyperactive, impulsive. Hyperactive, right, right. Yeah. Impulsive, and how many, how many people were in your class? Um, I think back then. I think I just lost you there for a second. Say that again. Uh, I think I lost yeah, you there. We, we, uh, say uh, it again. Had a class. I uh, lost you there for a second. How many kids do you think were in the classroom? I think we had about a class of uh, about 30, 35 kids. 35 kids. Okay. By the way, um, Marquise, you can also turn off your video. They'll probably make uh, make your connection more stable because we don't necessarily need the video. If you okay. go down the bottom left, you just say stop video. Okay. I got you. That's kind of like a video mute. 
Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay. Yeah, that's probably better. Um, so you're saying about 30 to 35 kids? Yes. So nowadays, obviously, the, the numbers haven't changed much. There's still class, we still have those class sizes in public schools. Um, now, I want to switch gears a little bit. So you're African American, and right. it's a definitely an underrepresented, uh, if we call it a race for now, like mm -hmm. not only just in the sort of special ed ADHD conversation, obviously in general, but let's focus on just this for now. Um, what was your, what's your understanding now as a, as a young adult, uh, you know, around or about ADHD and African-American boys? Like, is there a stigma? Is it a taboo? Is there a, a oh, do they get overdiagnosed? Or where do you think that's at today? Um, well, just having an understanding of, I remember back then, like, a lot of parents will actually get compensated for having kids in special ed. So if your kid is special ed, you get a check every month for that. So just coming from, you know, uh, the inner city, the ghetto, the hood, whatever you want to call it, it's, mm -hmm. it's a poverty-stricken area. So now you have a, a source of income, of course, at the sacrifice of your child well-being, but it's, a, it's another source of income. And when you when you lacking food in the house, when you're short on the rent, missing bills, the school need kid, uh, the kids need school clothes, um, just things of that nature, it's like the extra income is a help. So you kind of identify that. And then um, I can't exactly quote the, the um, where the statistics were uh, cited at, mm -hmm. but I remember it was a direct correlation between special education and prison so mm, yeah. a lot of yeah. kids who were it was a study done basically a lot of kids who were in special ed had a higher risk of later on ending up in prison in their adult life and when you kind of look at the stigma of um kids in special ed it definitely hit you know the inner cities the urban african-american communities pretty hard and as we all know you know we about you know i think it's eight percent ten percent of the population and have about 30 31 33 percent of the prison population so there's a big numbers gap that says you know we definitely are um, more susceptible mm -hmm. to going to prison and being incarcerated so um just in my adult life i noticed like even i have my personally my brothers were in special education and you know they've been in prison so I see it directly, you know, and um, I feel that, you know, I know my brothers, I've always known them. There's nothing wrong um, with their learning habits. Very intelligent men just mm -hmm. simply, um, you know, unfortunately did not have the same opportunities I had. Yeah. So, you know, once you give, you know, these ADHD kids <laughs> opportunity, you know, they're no longer ADHD kids. Now we find out they're geniuses and they're gifted and they create the next iPhone and they create the next uh, piece of technology to change the world. So I feel like um, it's, it's definitely um, a system in place to generate funds. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. You know, I think I'm a big believer, obviously, this project we're doing, ADHD is over is focused on the environment. Uh, and I don't mean just physical or geographical, but really what are you exposed to, right? And if your brothers were put into special ed to begin with, 
then uh, they were already considered and they considered themselves as troubled child children already, right? Exactly. Um, so you start seeing yourself as the, the, the outcast, the troubled ones, the troublemakers. So you may as well make trouble because everybody's already looking at you that way. Exactly. You know? And then, of course, um, I don't know what their upbringing was compared to yours, but that's obviously also going to play a big role. Uh, who they were raised by and what environment and so forth. But overall, uh, that was a really great example. I'm glad you mentioned that, um, that, you know, your brothers ended up going to prison, uh, not necessarily because they're bad people. They're not bad mm -hmm. apples. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. I, I, I'm a big believer in that. And that's obviously your proof of that. Your grandmother, you could say intervened and stepped in like a, like a guardian angel, right? Definitely. And she decided to look at you as as gifted, as positive, as powerful, as as uh, a potential, right? Right. And what do you say? So I want to talk about uh, if that's cool with you and anything you're not comfortable sharing, please let me know. Um, I'm I'm a digger for truth, <laughs> that's for sure. But okay. you mentioned in our conversation we had uh, previously that you you were raised by your grandparents. And uh, I believe you said that your father wasn't around much, right? Well, actually, my father was around. He was he was actually kind of in the same household. He just oh, okay. lived a different lifestyle, you know, to where, you know, he was pretty young at the time. He was about 17 years old when I was born. So, mm. so he was around physically, but maybe not emotionally or. Yeah, he definitely wasn't ready for parenthood at the time. Mm. How would that show up in your life or in his life? What would you as a. Uh, if you remember in the early years, um, how did that affect you? Or what, what went through your little child's mind, if you remember? For the most part, I, I, I looked up to my father in a lot of ways, you know, as any, any boy would. You know, you look up yep. to the father because that's an example of who you aspire to be. That's what created you, so that's what you identify with. Mm -hmm. um, I looked up to my father a lot. My father himself was a very talented man. He was a rapper. He was doing a lot of things um, locally in his rap career. That kind of, you know, made, I watched how everybody else talked about him. And that kind of made me um, look at him, you know, in an inspiring way as well. Like, mm. wow, I have to live up to that, you know? Mm. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, he was um, more so invested in his um, music in his, um, you know, lifestyle that he lived. So when my grandmother and grandfather, they were the ones kind of teaching and applying the principles. But, I mean, he would show up and be around, you know, every now and then for the most part. So he was there, but it just wasn't in a father-son bonding type of way. It was more of a, you know, I'm your dad, you know, kind mm -hmm. of. So, um, but I would say that affected me in kind of both ways because I mean it it had its it had its pros and its cons. Some of the pros would be, you know, um he inspired my rap career, you know, very talented uh, guy. Mm -hmm. He inspired me, you know, to hold myself to a high standard as a music artist. Um but I think some of the cons was um just kind of missing out on the important parts of my life per se, because I also played football. I was a very incredible athlete as a child. Mm -hmm. So when he would come to the games, knowing he'd be in the stands, I'd go score me five touchdowns in the game, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, just carry my team to the championship, that type of thing. But 
when you start, you know, missing games and I start looking at the stands, you ain't there. It's like, you know, that that I start to lose the the fire in it. So not saying, you know, that had everything to do with it, but just if, if it was a con, it would be those type of moments where I feel like mm-hmm. that would have been important on me um, carrying my uh, football passes or certain other passes into that type of capacity. Uh, you know, when you when you look at most a lot of successful athletes, you got your couple few, you know, who just came straight from the dirt, straight from the mud, straight from nothing. But then the majority are the ones who had, you know, the male figure in their life to kind of take them to the football camps to go mm-hmm. do trainings with them on the off season to kind of prepare them, you know, along the journey. So um, I think, you know, with that type of attention, I definitely would have been NFL material and that's living proof. I got about four or five friends in the NFL right now oh, wow. that I play with it coming up. So, you know, I had no doubts about it, but at the end of the day, you know, I believe everything has its purpose. Yeah. And I also believe by him, um, you know, um, not always being there to hold my hand. I had to grow up a lot on my own, kind of. Even though my grandmother and grandpa was there, it was still certain things that they can teach me because they're an older generation. So there's a disconnect at some point. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of things socially, I had to define who I was and who I wanted to become as a man. So and I think who, by him. Who were your role models at the time when you were growing, you know, as you were growing older? Uh, were you still in touch with your dad or how, what's your relationship now? Yeah, uh, I'm definitely still in touch with him. Definitely still in touch with him. We, we cool. We cool, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had our ups and downs, but we cool for the most part. You know, I still, at the end of the day, I'm still my father. So mm-hmm. I just think, um, you know, um, it helped me define who I was as a man outside of having to be like my father. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, or following those footsteps. I decided I wanted to you know, take my own path and define who I wanted to be. So some of my role models coming up, um, um, I would definitely say um, just I was always inspired by um, people like Magic Johnson, people like Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. people like um, uh, I was big Cowboy fans, like Emmitt Smith and that sort. But um, in music, you know, I was – always inspired by people like Tupac, you know, Snoop Dogg, uh, just the big icons, basically, mm-hmm. for the most part. And I always see myself as someone who can dwell amongst these type of people and have that type of status to my name and to who I am. So I just kind of looked up to the biggest of the biggest stars and said, wow, you know, one day I'm going to be able to walk with my head held that high, you know? So Yeah, no, that's great. That's really great. Now, uh, just to go back, where where was your mother? So your mother was was there as well, or how was your relationship with your mother early Definitely, on? Definitely, um, my, my mom was for sure around. She um, just had other kids to take care of, so mm-hmm. it would be you know as a single mother, you know, when you got um, work, school, kids, um, you know, it's only so much you know you can give to each and every kid, you know, without the lack you know for another one so mm-hmm. basically um a lot a lot of time was spent with my mom like more so on the weekends um but yeah she's always been around you know she's always done her part as a mother um mm-hmm. you know i think if anything with her it would just be the again the time she was available to spend but of course you know she had other obligations so 
you know, I always kind of understood that for the most part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your and how is your relationship with your mom now? Oh uh, yeah, we cool. Yeah, definitely, with both of my parents, we we have pretty um solid relationships. Because now in my adulthood, I understand more than I did when I was kind of adolescent age. You know, rebellious age coming up, just don't understand. And, you know, as a adult, you begin to gain that that um, empathy, you know. So just from that place, you know, I make sure that me and my uh, parents are going to always be good from that place. That's great. That's great. So let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit. So you wrote your book. Uh, you became a young entrepreneur and then you were pretty much a little celebrity for a while. You were interviewed and, you know. And you were basically uh, uh, became sort of a, a spokesperson, right? A little bit of a, um, uh, a public figure. Mm-hmm. And all that because you turned the otherwise known as label ADHD into more of a gifted entrepreneurial kind of uh, uh, track, right? So exactly. uh, for parents listening, right? This podcast mostly is for parents who uh, have children that they either just got diagnosed or they think that their child might have this so-called disorder, you know, called the ADHD. Um, what, what advice would you give parents when they have a child in front of them that might seem hyperactive, impulsive, disruptive, even at school, at home? What would you say? So I would basically say um, to direct the energy, you know, that's all it is, is just directing it. Um, and finding out who your child is, like you really have to take a profile, you know, and the only way you're going to know, I feel like, is through trial and error. Not necessarily trial and error, but more so just put them in a different thing to see what, see what sticks to them. See, you know, pay attention to the stuff that they do for fun. If you see your child, you know, might be uh, more excited about, you know, something like dancing, then let's, let's look into like, you know, ballet or something. Or if you see that they just, you know, love running a lot, you know, let's look into athletics. If they, if you see they more into uh, uh, coloring or drawing, let's look into the artistic side of things. Or, you know, it's just about, um, I feel like being attentive enough to figure that out with your child because whatever gift your child has is in them and they have no choice but to express it. It's a part of who they are. It's just about us understanding our children on that level to where, you know, we know their strong, their strongnesses, their strengths and their weaknesses. So um, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, just invest that, that time into finding your child's gifts and talents because they're they for sure there you know i think it just take that time though that that, that take a lot of time and energy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's great and what do you think could have or would have happened to you or your life and career i know that's a totally uh hard thing to predict but if you were given medication and you then behaved quote unquote normal like everyone else in the classroom where do you think this do you think this would have gone to where your brothers went? Um, it's it's a, it's a high possibility, just based on um, some of you know the the things I was exposed to in my lifetime. Uh, you know, it's like you know coming up in Los Angeles as a black male, it's like you almost are forced to um, conduct yourself in a way that protects yourself, but the way that protects yourself 
it's also identified or understood as, you know, um, you were a thug or a gangster or, you know, and that may not even necessarily be who you are as a person, but you have mm-hmm. to conduct yourself a certain way for survival, you know? Yeah. So I feel like it would, it could have easily went that route if, you know, I did not have my grandmother investing into me. Yeah. Yeah. And were, were your brothers also in medication or just special ed or? Um, no, I don't, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't recall medication being involved, but I just don't know because I know we went to separate schools. So mm. I don't remember it being involved at home, not necessarily, but maybe at school. I don't know. I have to get clarity for my mother. Yeah. No, I was just curious, you know, cause ultimately it doesn't necessarily take medication. Uh, you know, the label itself already is, is enough for a child to suddenly feel less than or broken or abnormal or troublemaker. Right. Um, th- that's enough. Right. Um, and so I just want to, you know, end our, our episode, first of all, with acknowledging you for what you've achieved in life so far. And you and I've talked about it. There's a lot in store for your future. You're still young. You have, uh, many projects and many passions going. And I think that's a, in a way, a sign of a gifted uh, person with what we call, would otherwise call ADHD, uh, you know, somebody who's impulsively likes something and then goes to work and creates it or does it, right? So I acknowledge you for, for uh, honoring your passions and continue to work on them. And I'm I want to I want to say that this probably makes for a better human or a happier human being than one that's conditioned to do something that others think you should be doing. Right. So that's that's really great. And I just want to, you know, say maybe we can do a, a follow up call sometime down the road, you know. Uh-huh. I'm definitely open to it. I definitely would love to come back and share some more and just kind of keep you uh, updated on, you know, the the new breakthroughs we having. Um, yeah. I'm definitely grateful for you even having me. Absolutely. And what I'm going to do is when you come back and you had mentioned that uh, you're going to republish your book, it's obviously been, what, 18 years, right? And uh, yeah, uh, it's still, I saw it's still on Amazon. It's not available right now. But when it is, maybe we'll do like a, uh, part two podcast episode, uh, you know, launching this republishing, um, mm-hmm. of your book, which by the way, I just love the title. It's called, I am not a problem child. How, mm-hmm. how a seven year old black male child fought against special education placement. I just think that's amazing. Definitely. definitely. So congratulations on everything. And thank you for sharing uh, your life so vulnerably. Oh man, Roman, I appreciate you and you know what you're doing for um, the world. You know you're giving your gift to the world, and I appreciate you for that, man. Because you you taking your time out, you know, to really care and to really make an impact on you know people who people probably the world would probably turn their back on these people if you hadn't kind of you know slowed down and paid attention and invested in them. So you know, I definitely uh, appreciate. It's my pleasure.